lads. And Aqua Glasses. Welcome back to the Aqua Cave for the latest edition of Bright Man. I'm Johnny C. And let's talk about one of my bright ideas. So, who out there is familiar with the concept of comfort food? Well, probably most of us. I'm here to tell you it doesn't just have to be food. It could also be digital media consumption. For example, I used to have to travel a lot for work in very rural, isolated areas, and it sucked. Okay? It sucked hard. However, I had an external hard drive loaded up with some very legal wrestling programming. All right? I had a lot of crappy in-your-house pay-per-views. Hey, I've been accused of liking bad wrestling. What are you going to do? I also had the complete year 2000 WCW collection at my fingertips. And uh, I used to love to watch it and try to analyze it and see why it all fell apart. Probably why I hosted WCW Must Die for so long. But I'll freely admit that the sweet sounds of Scott Hudson, Mark Madden, and Tony Schiavone became my comfort food and helped me relax and uh, fall asleep even sometimes when I was on the road for these long amounts of time. Now, it also had one movie film as well. And it's my go-to comfort food for watching a movie when I want to put something on that I can ignore and focus on what it is I actually have to do. That movie, for me, is Mystery Science Theater 3000 The Movie. Featuring this island earth. What a great fucking movie. But during recent hard times, if you will, or, you know, just in the last couple months, you know, if stress comes out and what have you, uh, I- I'm not always reaching to Mystery Science Theater 3000. And I've discovered some new comfort food. Something that is absolutely amazing. And I wanted to give you a little bit of background and then talk about Something that has comforted me in these hard times. It can only be described as Old Glory Thunder from 1999 with a very special guest commentator named Big Sexy Kevin Nash. Yeah. Kevin Nash is one of the bookers in WCW, and then eventually throughout 99, he becomes the head booker in WCW, and things fall apart. I mean, they fall apart pretty hard. Ratings are down, storylines are a unique blend of backstage sketches that don't affect the on-television narrative outside in the arena. Uh, It's almost a tale of two shows. There's like a backstage show where feuds and rivalries sort of take place, but then when they're on, let's just say for argument's sake, that uh, Lex Luger gets into an argument with, uh, I don't know, the blacktop bully backstage, and they're at each other's throats, but then on camera, they're tag team partners as if nothing's wrong, and Nash was sort of trying to create these two worlds. Eventually, it just stopped working, even if it ever did. And he was going to be removed from the position of being the head booker. As his final act of authority and power, he decided to book himself as the guest color commentator for an episode of Thunder that was two weeks before Halloween Havoc 1999, which is the show where Vince Russo would come in and have a Hogan lay down for Sting, which was a taste of things to come. So... That's kind of a very, very abbreviated version of how we got here. But that's not what's important, okay? What's important is how this show is comfort food for me. And I hope 
maybe it can be for you too. Now, it's, it's one thing for me to just say how entertaining and fun and comforting this program is, but I, I want to put forward a thesis, and we are going to talk about the show in terms of chapters based around the ad breaks. And each chapter tells both like its own story, but also has elements that contribute to the ongoing story. To me, the overall narrative and my thesis is threefold, as there are three big takeaways in my head that contribute to the overall entertainment factor and rewatchability of this episode of Thunder. Number one, the card is eerily reminiscent of a late 80s or early 90s B-Squad house show that the WWF would bring to town. Now, my evidence for this is... uh, Dayton, Ohio, growing up, was my primary live event hub. And we never, ever seemed to get, like, the grade A market house shows that would come around. Um, for example, I went my first ever house show, the main event was Rowdy Piper and Rick Rude in a steel cage. Uh, and Rowdy Piper was absent and substituted Hacksaw Jim Duggan, who we'll talk about soon. And, and I'm not throwing shade, it's just that's not the Hulk Hogan squad, okay? So it was a B tier. Uh, later on in the year... I went to a show in Cincinnati that featured Warrior and Andre on top uh, with Warrior as champ. Definitely your A squad, okay? So I'm, I'm very comforted by these shows where you get the piece of paper when you enter the arena and the first match listed is like Sam Houston versus Paul Roma. Like, I got no problem with that. It's comforting for me, okay? Um, and, and why is that important for this? Because most of the matches that are on this episode of Thunder do have that sort of feel, but they're glorified squashes as well. And to me, that adds to the overall positivity because I'm not really, con- if you know, when you're watching something as comfort food, you know, you're not actively watching it. You're sort of an active listener. You want noise. You want something that will keep your mind occupied, but doesn't compel you to view the screen 24-7. That's my first element. Number two, Kevin Nash in my opinion, is in full I-don't-give-a-shit mode. And he simply performs his commentary duties with the intent of both popping the boys in the back and airing his grievances that he's gathered throughout his time as Booker, uh, which to me are both interesting and entertaining. The third and final part of my thesis, throughout the course of the evening, Kevin's commentary seems to become intoxicating and freeing for his broadcast colleagues. It takes a few chapters to come together, but the fun that Kevin is having is infectious, and the sociological implications of that are interesting to hear, and again, in my opinion, very entertaining. And when you consider the fact that you've got Mike Tanay and the living legend, uh, the kayfabe protector Larry Zabisco on commentary... It adds an extra layer to it because Tanay is the lead commentator. This is his lead commentary role. It's the highest level on-screen role he has in WCW at the time. And Zabisco is old school and I would assume be completely against this idea or concept as he would try to kayfabe and protect the business to constantly be one step ahead of the viewers in a game of mental chess or human chess. Uh, Kevin, you need to move your bishop up to E7 to win this game of human chess. It's my Larry Zabisco. Get used to hearing it. But that's my overall thesis for why this is comforting, comfort food, extremely entertaining. Let's get started with Chapter 1, The Phantom Voice. 
The show opens, as most wrestling shows do, with the opening graphics video. And this opening video is indeed garbage, in my opinion. But it does involve the Hollywood sign in Hollywood, California, being ripped apart and broken apart by various WCW superstars, ending with a photo of Hollywood Hulk Hogan himself as the Hollywood letters merge into the WCW Thunder logo to create it and make it colorful symbolism, perhaps. The scene opens with an excessive amount of pyro, which reeks of wasted funds, so of course I'm digging it. It's the Riverside Centriplex in Baton Rouge, the home of crawfish, allegedly, and uh, it looks very, very empty. If there's 2,000 people here, I'd be surprised, but hey, I could be wrong. As we traditionally do when wrestling shows begin, we pivot to the table of announcements. Mike Tanay and Larry Zbysko in their official WCW bulk-ordered polo shirts. All you gotta do is tell the office administrator what size you need and which colors. But don't forget, the shirts will be purchased at your own expense. I've worked at some places like that before. But standing out is the beautiful, perfectly coiffed visage of Kevin Nash in an Arizona Diamondbacks baseball jersey. When Mike Tanay says his name, Mr. Nash giggles and begins to bounce in his seat. Tanay ponders, You're retired. What are you doing here this evening? Kevin's answer is his truth and speaks volumes to his goals for the evening. Well, uh, see, you know, uh, there's been a lot of people that said I was a horrible booker. But I've booked myself into the best angle of all time. I'm retired. But since you're paying me big money, they decided they'd put me on the broadcast team and try to recoup some of those funds. Three points from this statement. Number one, during the entire time, Mike Tanay is desperately trying to keep a straight face and looks like a guy who's trying to hold in a hard fart during an important business meeting. Number two, Nash using the term recoup some of those funds is indicative, in my opinion, of his asshole, holier-than-thou nature. Number three, when Nash finishes speaking, he displays the biggest shit-eating slash trolling smile you have ever seen. If you looked up prick in the dictionary, it should be a picture of this smile. But for some reason, I can't help but love it, and I'm already on his side. Your outsider's partner, Scott Hall, is conspicuous by his absence. Yeah, he was supposed to be here, but I haven't seen him since he left the two ladies for sushi on Monday night. So Scott's missing in action as we speak. Larry Zabisco is a bit uncomfortable during this entire exchange, but that will soon change. The first match is Colonel Buddy Lee Parker versus Hacksaw Jim Duggan. For those that wonder, Hacksaw picks up the victory in about five minutes or so, but let's discuss the relevant commentary moments. Commentary does tell a story throughout the evening that is important for the overall WCW narrative right now. And that is the story of Sid versus Goldberg, which is set to be a featured match at Halloween Havoc. The build-up to which involved a special caveat that if Goldberg got physical with Sid before the pay-per-view, then the match would be off. And on the most recent edition of Nitro, Goldberg did indeed spear Sid Vicious. Now, and that's important, you need to know that moving forward. And I will freely admit that Kevin Nash takes a little bit a little bit of time to get fired up uh, for this show, but while he is getting ready to go, Larry is currently ready to go. Uh, the, to the question of what will happen next in the ongoing narrative between Sid and Goldberg, Larry offers this information. 
Well, the ball's in Sid's court, you know. He came up with the mind games and the idea of, let's try to keep Goldberg away from me while I harass the man. But it backfired in his face, Mike. Now it's time for Sid Vicious to prove to everybody if he wants to be the Millennium Man, he's got to get in Goldberg's face or he's going to be known as the Millennium Mouse. Mike Tanay then puts over Hacksaw Jim Duggan's Mid-South uh, Wrestling History in Louisiana. Uh, say what you want to about Jim Duggan, but this guy always, always has a way to stay over. And honestly, Kevin's assessment is an easier and more efficient way to make the point. And in my opinion, he's totally right. Because in this uh, confrontation, Duggan relies on typical house show antics to be massively over with the crowd. He twirls around his board. He yells USA a lot. And of course, he brought Old Glory with him as well, which will soon be important. Duggan's a very simple man. Simple things for simple minds. Kind of sounds like something that uh, Kevin would say, to be honest with you. Oh, and his opponent, like I mentioned, is Buddy Lee Parker. I think I called him a colonel. He's actually a sergeant. So put your tweets down. But if this guy is the gatekeeper at the WCW power plant, no wonder WCW fell so hard in the end. During the bout, Larry mentions that Hacksaw Jim Duggan is a thug, or like a thug. It's hard not to like the guy, but he's a hard-hitting thug. So the craziness, I want to point out, is not limited to Big Kev. He also compares Hacksaw's hands to bowling balls. He's going to pound you with those fists. They're like bowling balls. At one point, the match goes to the outside. And Kev's all like, you know, if I'm Buddy, I'm grabbing the board. This leads to a great gag about Mike Tanay using the generic form of we as opposed to the royal form of we. But the most important moment happens at the end. When Hacksaw Jim Duggan hits his patented football tackle clothesline and finishes off the sergeant with his new end of WCW finishing move, the old glory knee drop. As Tanay, or after Mike Tanay makes the call after the 1-2-3, Big Sexy asks perhaps the most important question that has ever been asked on a commentary uh, for professional wrestling. Mike, how much does stuff you just make up on the fly? You know, just like old glory knee drop, stuff like that. Is that, like, documented? Or you make the stuff up on the fly? And, of course, today, instantly defends himself. Well, that's the nickname for Hacksaw Jim Duggan, of course, who always brings out old glory with the flag and the 2x4. During the replay of the maneuver, Zabisco says, You're not going to outpower Duggan, so maybe you're right. Next time, use the board. Or use that old glory knee drop. And we head to commercial. Chapter 2, Blades of Steel. It's Big Al Green versus Lash LaRue. Uh, In the ring, Big Al Green and Kevin Nash, deep into your wrestling past, a former tag team partner. Yeah, yeah, I know him, but should he have come out to the ring with, I'm so in love with you? No, no, that's the Reverend Al Green. Oh, oh, this is the wrestler Al Green. Yeah, he was my original, uh, no, my second tag team partner, like, ten years ago. Oh, am I aging myself? Uh, you know, today, uh, I was, when I broke into the business, I was like 16. Lash LaRue is so obnoxious with his stupid fucking hand sign and his stupid sideburns and his stupid dance move clothesline. He's all like, He's so lame 
that Tanay has to talk about how impressed the officials in the championship committee are with young Lash LaRue. And Mike Tanay, if you're a professional wrestler, okay, and Mike Tanay compares you or indicates that a championship committee is impressed with you, that's the equivalent of Bobby Heaton saying, Oh, he's in the best shape of his life, Tony. The best shape I've seen him in in years. Uh, they're equal on the I don't give a fuck about the guy in the ring and I'm a commentator scale. Lash finds a contrived way to do the Bourbon Street Blues, his stupid fucking dance clothesline, and Zabisco does get excited uh, when Lash does the splits. Whoa, split them crawdads! Uh, you know, Lash LaRue voted sweetest sideburns by the WCW fans. Uh, there's also a fantastic Dean Malenko joke that Kevin Nash and Mike today make that I won't spoil for the audience in case you want to watch this, which you fucking should, uh, but I will even admit it's a deep pull that I had to look up. Later in the contest, Lash leaps from the top rope, gets caught by Al Green, and power slammed. But during the leap, Kev says, Hey, 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 hey! And after the slam, Larry says, He's low now! Uh, Like I said, though, Al gets two from this nonchalant cover by your former tag team partner, Kevin Nash. And under his breath, it's somewhat ashamed, Big Sexy replies, I'm going to have to talk to him about that. Lash LaRue wins with his stupid whiplash maneuver. Uh, And we get impressive victory by the young Lash LaRue. Lash then rubs his LL sidebirds. Oh, I see. I see what you're doing there. Getting in a reference to the sidebirds. We then get treated to a video of the first family beating up Harlem Heat on the latest edition of Nitro. And it's, it's pointless. But the best part is Bobby Heaton is laughing his ass off and out of control because Jimmy Hart has to struggle to hit Stevie Ray with a trash can. And I will admit, Bobby, I'm right there with you as we head to commercial. Chapter 3. Skull Man. The Total Package and Miss Elizabeth come to the ring to deliver a promo. It's pretty standard heels that hate your local town type of stuff. Lex Luger is back from a recent injury and claims that no WCW wrestlers sent him any get well cards or internet emails saying to get better. He is then interrupted by Buff Bagwell. Now let's pause and discuss what actually happened up until this point because there's a lot. During the entrances, Professor Mike Tenay has breaking news, having just been informed by the championship committee that they have been working feverishly and overtime to sign a big match. And just now confirmed, next week, the total package will battle Buff Bagwell in the main event. Serious question, how hard was it to sign this match? What held up the committee's ability to execute the contracts and obtain the necessary signatures? Buff is going to have his work cut out for him. A total package, whatever you want to call him, he is a genetic specimen. You know, I think uh, Liz has got some nice genetics. Well, there's a couple of wonders there. Hey, that a boy, Larry. Loosen up. Let's have some fun tonight. Folks, the infection amongst the announcers is starting to spread. In regards to getting loosened up, Larry responds, Well, I don't even see a putting green. I knew we'd get a golf reference. And what what do we make it? About 25 minutes into the show? What'd you do? Track the over-under? It's in the hole. It's in the hole. Jesus Christ, doing a Kevin Nash, doing a Bill Murray impression is hard work. Yeah, you know, I've been watching these one-on-one golf championship matches, 
and I challenge Michael Jordan anytime, any place, anywhere. <laughs> God damn it. Larry is obsessed with golf, but I kind of love it. Now, I mentioned earlier how Lex says he didn't get any internet emails instead of saying he didn't get any emails because, you know, it's, it's, it's 1999, so what are you going to do? As he says this behind him on the hard cam side, a Louisiana family returns to their seats having just stocked up on beverages. You cannot miss these people, I promise. We have dad, mom, and a kidster. Mom discovers she can see herself on the big TV. She then makes Daddy and Junior aware of this fact. Now hold that thought because we will come back to it shortly. Luger again talks shit about the Baton Rouge fans. And we do cut to some fans with the camera. And Big Kev says, like an angry old lady, Oh, he's just so smug. Back in the ring, Lex continues his promo. But behind him, Mom and Dad are waving like there is no tomorrow, desperately attempting to find some relevance by getting on the big TV. Now, however, their kidster sees that he can also get on the big TV So what does he do to make an impression? Well, of course, he takes his water bottle and uses it to pantomime, sucking a big old cock. This kid is going to town on this thing. I feel like I should have to pay to even see this. He's also making sure to poof out his cheeks in concert with the sucking motions, as if to indicate, Mmm, that's a huge cock in my mouth. He then makes the mistake of speeding up his sucking and only putting the tip of the water bottle in his mouth. Now, I suppose that's not a mistake per se for everyone out there, but that technique may not work for the individual that you're using it on, so check your local listings. He then pivots to big slurps, and he's added stroking the water bottle with his hands as well. He forgets to cup the balls, so Mama tells him to stop, and the kidster abides, and thus the cocksucking ends. Lex is still rambling in the ring and indicates he has the greatest mesomorphic physique in the world. Cut to some more fans in the crowd, including a teenager with a young boy on his shoulders in the torture rack position. Folks, please, pay attention. Kevin Nash delivers the greatest deadpan line reading in the history of our sport in response to this fan's application of the submission maneuver. Uh, old glory torture rack. And so, a legend is bored. Buff Bagwell arrives in massively oversized bibs with an insane amount of logos painted onto them. In response to this, this executioner lets us know that much airbrush should be against the law. It should be noted now that the mom from earlier absolutely loses her shit when Buff arrives. I think... For the safety of everyone in the arena, we should probably issue a flash flood warning. Buff says that Lex is wrong, and he tried to reach out to him when he was hurt. He then challenges him to a match next week that, according to Mike Tanay, has already been signed after many, many hours of painstaking negotiations. Rick Steiner comes to the ring. Buff turns to look at him, and Luger strikes. Ah, the sneak submarine attack! says Kevin Nash. 
Swerve on the part of, of the total package. And Rick Steiner says, Mike, today, the fucking restating the awesome sneak submarine attack of Kevin Nash. Then a man comes to the rescue of Buff Bagwell. A man that when he comes into the view of the camera, elicits this response from this executioner. What the heck? What is he doing here? Our savior is indeed the Skull Man, the chairman of WCW, La Parca. La Parca, making the save for Buff Bagwell? What's this all about? Well, this is a fact you don't know today. Lex Luger is horrified. He's terrified of skeletons. Mike Tenay's response? Wow. As we head to commercial. Chapter 4. Always bet on black. Our announce team introduces a video package recalling how many WCW superstars are absolutely losing their shit for Tori Wilson. And I understand. I don't want to give too much away because it's a really fun package that you should watch. But if you've ever wanted to see Kurt Henning awkwardly flirt with a woman that's way out of his league and then see him order around Virgil immediately after getting shot down then this is your video package. We're back in the arena, and Kevin lets us know some interesting facts. Well, there's something about Mary, and there's something about Tori. You know, I like that chick from the Road Report, too. <laughs> He's the Booker fans. No one ever said that he had anything to do with the HR department. The Armstrong brothers are here for tag team action. Quick question. Has anyone else ever fallen for the Brad Armstrong theme music trap? So his WCW theme, which is being borrowed by his brothers Scott and Steve, starts out really fucking cool. Like some sort of a badass is about to come out. And then it has like a little musical interlude break. Then it starts back up and it's Brad Armstrong. And it just can't deliver on the promise that the intro cut, you know, made. Their opponents for the evening are the first family made up of Hugh Morris and Brian Nobbs. Brian Nobbs is, of course, dressed like a nasty boy. Hugh Morris has some rubber bands and braids in his hair. You see, folks, he's wacky. Mike Tenay promotes, going on sale tomorrow in Toronto, Ontario, Canada, are tickets for WCW Mayhem, the first ever WCW Canadian pay-per-view. A uh, free keg beer there, right? At the on-sale? Well, yeah, it's Canada. Hugh Morris, during the match, gets one of the Armstrong brothers in a military press position. Kevin, out of nowhere, just decides to do a little Jimmy Durante on commentary and says, Ha-cha-cha-cha-cha-cha! Ha-cha! Hugh Morris has been so impressive in recent weeks, a man his size, 300 pounds, with speed and ability to come off the top rope with the no laughing matter. You know, probably just as impressive, the fact that he flies to Japan to have Bull Nakano do his hair once a week. Very nice Japanese women's wrestling reference by Kevin Nash. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you very much. During an outside the ring segment, there's a fan at ringside that I noticed that's wearing some bibs and a Kangol hat. He looks like someone mixed together the semen of AJ Styles and Buff Bagwell and let it marinate at 450 for about nine months. Mike Tenay promotes that the Harlem Heat will battle the first family at Halloween Havoc. I'll tell you what though, the Heat... Ain't just going to sit around and watch this match longer. You know, Harlem Heat are some tough cats. Hugh Morris climbs up the ropes. Oh, is he going Is he going up? Is this it? 
Oh, no, no, he's not backwards. Kevin is correct, just a big elbow drop off the top, but the Armstrong brother that was in peril rolls away. I'll tell you, rolling away is one half of the coin. The other side is he's got to get up and make a tag. Moments later, Hugh climbs up top yet again. Oh, now he's backwards. No laughing matter. One, two, three. Bren, Nobbs, that is, gets on the house mic and yells out. Well, let me put it this way. He yells at the Armstrong brothers as if they are Harlem Heat. Mike Tenay says that a brainwashed Jimmy Hart has convinced them to believe this, <laughs> I guess. And I thought Kevin Nash was smoking the good shit. Brian Knob says, Who are the fruit booties now? Apparently, the uh, war of words has been uh, surrounding the term fruit booty. When suddenly, Harlem Heat race onto the scene from the back. Here comes Stevie Ray and Booker T right behind him. Hey, that's not Booker T. That's Wesley Snipes. No, no, that is Booker T. <laughs> a beatdown ensues. Stevie Ray gets on the mic and delivers a soliloquy that... I don't understand how a t-shirt was never made out of, because I fucking love it, and I'm so happy that it's a part of this show. Stevie calls the first family donut-eating, milk-drinking, fruit booties. Everybody says it really fast. I don't know. It's it's fucking priceless. Uh, then we have the uh, go-to-commercial music starts playing in the background, and Zabisco's all like, Oh, we can't go. I want to see some kicking of fruit booties. Nash, the booker, chimes in as we fade to black. Well, then you gotta pay. (laughs) And we head to commercial. Chapter 5. We've got movie sign. We see a video recap of Rey Mysterio vs. Saturn from Monday Nitro, where Shane Douglas tries to interfere in the match using a chain. Mike Tenay suggests that they start to call him Chain Douglas moving forward. Surprisingly, Kevin Nash says nothing. At the announce table now for a talking head segment. Kevin Nash and Mike Tenay talk about Goldberg and Sid and their ongoing feud. Larry, however, much like the all-female team of Ghostbusters, is compelled to answer the call, and he turns to the crowd and does his little finger bow thing. Kevin then lets us all know, I know you guys think that I was just sitting around on my laurels all day, but I put together an unbelievable video package. And then we cut to said video package. Now look, guys, I'm going to be honest with you, okay? I cannot do this justice, and a podcast is not the correct forum to talk about this. But what happens is uh, Kevin Nash, and I'm doing the finger quotes thing here, has edited together a video package recapping the history between Sid and Goldberg. But he legit does a Mystery Science Theater 3000 riff on this video as we're watching it. You have to see it, and I'm not going to recap it because th- you have to go. You have to watch it. You have to. It does just it doesn't work in audio form. All right, me recapping a recap video with funny jokes over it. However, some great bits include large bald men <laughs> touching each other, Sid's fluctuating weight, Goldberg's penchant for mugging to the hard cam, and Larry Zabisco begging for a sip of whatever's in Kevin Nash's water bottle. After that video, we had. To commercial. Chapter 6. A Difference of Opinion. Horace Hogan is going one-on-one with Brian Adams. Brian Adams is really shaped up. He's in the best shape I've ever seen him in. So Kevin Nash doing the Bobby Heated. He also, in my opinion, looks like the crow, Brandon Lee. Mike Tenay really wants to talk about the revolution. 
He discusses how Chris Benoit and Dean Malenko are on the outs with the group. Things are so bad, they left the country and are performing for New Japan Pro Wrestling. But before they left, they made sure to throw their Revolution shirts at the feet of Shane Douglas on Nitro. We are then treated to two different schools of thought on the matter. Yeah, Malenko and Benoit, two of the best in the world, and they've had enough of Shane Douglas's willpower. I mean, he's basically trying to make himself a leader of men uh, who don't want to be sheep. Yeah, well, I thought they threw off the shirt because it was so damn ugly. That's just my opinion. I, I could be wrong. Back to the match. You know, Horace did a good job against Goldberg on Monday. He had a bit of a run in there. You think that was competitive? Well, yeah. I mean, if it goes over one minute mark, right? Right. Test of strength spot now. Transitioning to a backslide battle. Horace decides to go low while the ref can't notice. And Kevin Nash on the call. Oh, old glory mule kick. Kevin Nash then laughs at his own joke. Horace sends Brian Adams to the outside and hits a plancha. The young Hogan stands back up, and Kevin discovers an interesting tidbit. Pretty safe to ensure that Luger isn't coming down here, because there are skeletons on the side of Horace's pants. Nash is saddened, though, as he realizes he's going to get a memo from the boys in the tower, because he called Lex Luger Lex Luger, and not the total package, his new name. Oh, sorry, package. Hey, just tell the package I'm going to put together a package on him for next Thursday. Uh, Not again, please. Yes! How about some real audio next time? Well, why don't you come in the booth with me and record some, instead of chasing around young girls all day. Jeez. The match continues slowly. During a rest hold, you know, this was uh, originally booked as a hair versus hair match. Yeah, I doubt if you guys knew that. Adams kicks out of a big splash at two. Oh, yes. The old, not today. Brian Adams, out of nowhere, hits an extremely dangerous-looking pile driver. One, two, three, and we head to commercial. Chapter 7. Kushlash, 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 kushlash. Me, Gene Okerlund, is in the center of the ring, and he brings out Lash LaRue. Well, how about that? In his home state, not only pulls off a victory here on Thunder, but he gets promo time as well. Ugh, what's with that? Don't look at me! Who's booking this? Lash, as he walks down to the aisle, reveals to me that he is absolutely the type of guy that has no idea what to do with his hands when he's on TV. He's constantly making a strange symbol and touching his face. It's very off-putting. Well, it certainly seems the championship and executive committees believes he's in line for a shot at the Cruiserweights World Championship. Uh, Maybe we should ask the judicial branch. Larry is definitely starting to feel the buzz, folks. Lash LaRue, thanks for joining me here in the ring. Your thoughts on battling the Disco Inferno at the Halloween Havoc. The Cajun responds... Nobody took the Cajun seriously, but the Cajun knows how to spice things up, Disco Inferno. And my Lash lovers want to see me in Las Vegas. Oh, I'm sorry, Las Vegas. And I'm walking out with the strap. 
See, he called it the strap. So Kevin Nash clearly wrote this promo. But Lash LaRue, can you dance like the Disco Inferno? Gene, have you not seen the Bubble Street Blues? You know I give that guy a couple of shots, I do the old splits, pop up a little clothesline, and I'm talking about laissez-compétent, roulez, let the good times roll. The interview concludes. Tanay says that no one can deny Brad Armstrong is a proud American. I say, if that's the case, I'm sure he has a very interesting Facebook page. Like everyone else around here, he's had his fill of Berlin. The two will collide at Halloween Havoc. Cut to a hype video for this feud. And let me paint a picture for you of how it begins. Berlin is backstage leaning against a wall. Now, I can't deny he does indeed look like a giant douche. But it has nothing to do with his German heritage and ancestry. It's because, well, just look at the guy, alright? Brad Armstrong casually strolls by, and Berlin says something in his native tongue. Now completely unprovoked, Armstrong returns to where Berlin was standing and angrily grabs him by the collar. Armstrong then says, and I quote, I don't know where the hell you think you're from, buddy, but this is America. You speak English to me. You got something to say to me, you say it. Berlin says nothing. Yeah, that's what I thought. Later that night, Berlin and his bodyguard, The Wall, here identified only as the big man, attack Brad Armstrong during a match with Kurt Henning, and this interference causes him to lose. Truthfully, however, I'm sure he probably would have lost anyway. Next week, he's walking in the backstage area to... Well, gentlemen, who I are assuming are fellow militia members along with the Bradster, walk by and say, Hi, Brad! Since they greeted him in English, Brad Armstrong replies, What's up, guys? This allows the wall to submarine sneak attack from behind. Eventually, this package ends, and we head to commercial. Chapter 8 Achtung! 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 The artist, currently known as Prince Ikea, comes down to the ring to await his foe. He's going to be doing battle with the man we just saw, Berlin, who is of course accompanied by his bodyguard. We're seeing Berlin now, along with that very impressive bodyguard. Gigantic bodyguard! I should put a package together on him next week. Do me a favor, a little audio please. Okay, okay, okay. Now you see, guys, Mike Tenay is starting to play along, but he's still maintaining his role as a straight man on the broadcast, and I like it. Word received from the back of a tag team match later tonight. Listen to this. The total package and Rick Steiner together as a team. Certainly, that's no surprise, but the opponents will be, and certainly, teaming for the first time, Buff Bagwell with La Parca. Get out! No way! Maybe Kevin is right. Maybe the package is scared of bones. What are they doing together as a team? Well, we saw LaParka earlier come down and save Buff Bagwell with the chair. Oh, yeah. I, no, I remember now. I remember. Half the guys didn't show up today, so we had to book this. That's what happened. Hey, what are you smiling about, Mike? Nash then laughs like a 90-year-old man that wants another pack of smokes. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the all-shoot edition of Thunder. 
And I'd like to give a special shout-out to the band Bob and Wino Junko. I think we might need a little translation on that one. Perhaps that one's too inside. No, no, they got it. They got it. I don't get it, but I love it. Oh, yeah, there's a match. The bell rings. Berlin, a stealth 163. Berlin makes his Berlin fist in the air symbol thing. Like he puts both fists forward like he's saluting two nations of domination. What is he doing? Uh, I'll tell you what, Larry. It's a German version of Tai Bo. The match continues, as wrestling matches do. Then, basically out of nowhere, Kevin Nash interjects this unique information. Hey, can I give you guys a scoop? Tanae lives for scoops. It's all shoot TV tonight. Go ahead and fire. You know, the Saturday show is about to be awoken on TBS. Now, now we're on TBS, so I can talk about this. Scott Hall, myself, and one of our colleagues are in negotiations right now for a one-hour variety wrestling package with music and guests. And a place for the women who come into the industry to show their stuff. That's right, the big shizzle, coming soon to TBS. Well, there you go. Can't ask for much more than that. 705 to 805, Mike. You have a start date for that? Ah, just pitching it right now, getting the buzz going. Get on the phone and say, hey, I want to see that. Come on, I'm looking for some kind of niche here, as opposed to niche. I don't want to be bumping around the rest of my life. I'm getting old. Mike, anything? Larry, anything? Well, I think you'd do real well working the window at a burger place. Mike Tanay, clearly aware of the corporate sponsorship that looms over this broadcast, interjects, Make that a Wendy's burger place, by the way. <laughs> Back in the match, Berlin pokes the eyes of Prince Ikea. Ooh, shortcutski. Or as the Germans would say, Achen shortcutskin. The prince hits a hard clothesline. Oh no, the prince turning him into Otto von Skidmark. Nash erupts in laughter that the walls around Larry have broken down. boy, Larry, there you go. Join in the festivities. Prince Iakea hits a big back body drop. Nash on the call. Hi, 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 hi! Back body drop. The prince hits a Samoan drop. You know, if Axel did that, be the old glory Samoan drop. Berlin eventually hits his neckbreaker finisher for the one, two, three. Berlin victorious with the help of his bodyguard. Man, dude looks like Mr. Joshua. You know, from Lethal Weapon. Mr. Joshua, give me your arm. Mr. Joshua, of course, famously played by Predator 2's Gary Busey in the original Lethal Weapon. And believe it or not, after all of that, we finally head to a commercial. Chapter 9. Paging Dr. Sexy. Paging Dr. Sexy. We're back with a video package with audio, mind you, and it is for the recently returned to WCW Ming. The video, I must say, is indeed awesome. Uh, it shows Ming beating up various wrestlers using the Tongan death grip, and it has audio clips from various announcers like Tony Schiavone and Bobby Heenan that have been slowed down to a crawl to make them sound more dramatic. For example, Tony Schiavone says, The monster! Ming! But on this video, it's, The monster! 
Bobby says, there's bodies all over the place. But in this video, he says, there's bodies all over the place. Back in the arena now with Coach Buzz Stern leading his charge, Luther Biggs, down to the ring. Hey, look, it's Luther Biggs, cool. Now, Aqua fans, don't worry. Much like all of you out there, when these two came out into the arena, I also said, who? So allow me to illuminate, as Booker T would say. No, wait, it's Wesley Snipes that said that. So Luther Biggs was a Thunder slash worldwide job guy that would later resurface at the Tennessee Fairgrounds as the legendary NWA TNA performer, Disgraceland. (laughs) Uh, And Coach Buzz Stern? Well, he's better known as everyone's favorite ninja, Unmasked Sub-Zero from Mortal Kombat 3. What's this? Hold on. Oh, wait, I'm being handed a document. It looks like he was actually known as Glacier. My apologies to all the Glacier fans out there. Now, to be more serious, this gimmick appears to be that of a coach who is trying to get his uh, prodigy into shape. Uh, To reiterate this, Luther's theme song is a broke-ass version of Mr. Touchdown. You know the one. We always call him Mr. Touchdown. You know, from Revenge of the Nerds, that's the only way I know it. If it's a real fucking song, well, I guess it is because it's this guy's theme song. Coach Stern with his prize pupil, Larry. Well, if this is the prize, I'd hate to see the runt of the litter. Yeah, this Luther looks a little husky. Well, I don't think he's been doing too many sit-ups, if that's what you mean. Kevin Nash then proves forever and ever that all Kevin Nash impressions are indeed accurate when he launches into this little soliloquy here. Uh, I'll reiterate Mike's earlier words. I don't think he's been doing too many sit-ups, if that's what you mean. I blow out a C5, grabbing his neck, trying to roll up that derby. Blowing off more than a C5? (laughs) All right, C2, C3, 4, 5? What about Jurassic 1? Thoracic 2, Thoracic 3, Lumbar 1. He then breaks into a schoolgirl-esque giggle and says, Liver? Finally, here comes the opponent. It is indeed Ming! Ming looking good with some Davy Boy Smith at Wembley Stadium braids. You know, since he's been gone, he's got a pretty sweet hair thing going on lately. Hey, now that I think about it, you know, you never see Ming and Barry White in the same place at the same time. You ever notice that? Larry Zabisco then calls Luther Biggs, Luther Riggs, on accident. No relation to Scotty Riggs. Nah, Scotty's a tramp. This Luther, he's husky. Now, this match is basically legalized murder. Nash puts over that the boys tell stories of Ming going through 30 or 40 guys at bars back in the day. This guy's the real deal. Not talking about Holyfield. After like 30 seconds, Ming applies the Tongan death grip. Oh, he's got him in the cruiser. He's going down. It is indeed over. Buzz tries to rescue, but he also eats the Tongan death grip. Nick Patrick tries to break it up and save these sports entertainers, but bails when Ming looks him directly in the eye. 
Nick Patrick is gone with the wind. Kevin Nash puts his final stamp on this segment he booked by saying, you know, these guys should have known better. Nobody gets beat after a sweet video package like that. We're then treated to about 11 seconds of silence as Ming leaves the ring, and we head to commercial. Chapter 10. The circle is complete. Perry Saturn heads down our way to do battle with Rey Mysterio. Mike Tanay is hyping that some tickets are still available for Halloween Havoc. You know, this is my favorite pay-per-view, Halloween Havoc. And why is that, Big Sexy Kevin Nash? Because it's in Vegas. I get to see my friends at Crazy Horse, too. You had to ask him, didn't you? Rey Mysterio coming out now, and the commentators are hyping up the card for Halloween Havoc. The topic of Diamond Dallas Page versus Ric Flair comes up. Nash says that Flair has been stealing from DDP's catchphrases when doing interviews with Mean Gene. He's saying, give me a bang, give me a bang. Oh well, say what you will, Flair's still the most entertaining guy in the world. I dig him the most. You know, I'm going to get down with him some afternoon, sit down, have a couple of cocktails, listen to some groovy albums, and we're going to talk. Of course, that will be on the big shizzle, though. And upon this, fra- this, this little information that Kevin Nash has given us, I'm ready to commit to this fact. Kevin Nash is absolutely the guy who comes over to smoke a little bit of your weed and doesn't get the picture uh, when it's time to leave. He's constantly asking questions like, So, what are we doing tonight? How often do you guys get together and do this? Wait, what What do you mean? You haven't seen Fight Club? Whoa, 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 hold on. You're going to sit there with a straight face and tell me that Led Zeppelin Four isn't the best record of all time? He's, he's absolutely the type of guy that refers to every single way that you can consume music as a record. Even if it's a fucking batch of songs, it's a goddamn playlist. Oh, man. Hey, guys, I made this record on my phone. You got to listen to it. Meanwhile, an actual decent wrestling match is taking place, so of course, Mike Tanay pivots back to hyping Halloween Havoc, saying, The status of... Se- Whoa, who the fuck was that impression of? <laughs> Let's take two. <laughs> the status of the Sid Vicious-Goldberg match remains in question because of the physical contact. Whoa, you don't think that package answered those questions, Mike? Some viewers may still have questions, even after your award-winning package. Use take two. Then, Rey Mysterio hits the Rough Rider, or the Bronco Buster. Uh-oh! Check my inseam. You guys know if Hacksaw did that, it'd be the Old Glory Rough Rider. <laughs> Eventually, the action spills outside, and Rey Mysterio hits a flipping seated senton onto Saturn. Larry Zabisco lets us know that he has finally cracked. Well, when you wrestle Rey Mysterio, you gotta look everywhere, even 50 feet in the air. You gotta have eyes in the back of your head. Of course, if Hacksaw was wrestling him, it'd be the old glory eyes in the back of your head. (laughs) Or the old glory skid mark, which Nash adds in for some reason, implying perhaps that Hacksaw Jim Duggan uh, doesn't have control over his bowels, maybe? I don't know, but it's still great. Saturn hits a T-bone suplex. Saturn then hits a variation of the suplex. Ooh, he switched his hands up on that one. That was a porterhouse, you know, as opposed to the T-bone. 
I missed that little variation of a modified T-bone. Yeah. You know, he also does the New York strip and the filet. No, no, it's it's not the filet anymore. It's the total steak. And I'm not Larry anymore. I'm Bruno. This actually pops Kevin Nash. Well, you know, if you were Hacksaw, you'd be the old glory living legend. We may have beaten that one to death at this point. No, Mike, there, there's no such thing. Which, I, I definitely agree with you, Kevin. You, there's no such thing as beating a good gag into the ground. The match continues with Saturn clearly in control. Uh, the thing about Saturn is, you know, he's technically sound. He's got some martial arts background. He's physically fit. I mean, uh, you know, he's a heck of a package. Well, he's, a, he's not the total package, but he's a heck of a package. Larry. Larry, did you see how I got that one in there? Saturn then hits another suplex. What kind of suplex was that, Mike? That was a combination belly-to-belly. No, it's the old glory suplex! Saturn powerbombs Ray off the top rope. One, two, no. A kick out. Oh, not today. Not today, Ray Ray. Saturn, uh, the illustrated man. Good novel. See? See? Kevin Nash absolutely knows the best books, the best records, and the best films of all time. And Nash is absolutely never saying the word movie, by the way. It's always going to be a film. Uh, Anyway, shortly after this, Rey Mysterio wins with a small package. Uh, Saturn murders him and the referee after the match with a big clothesline. Takes a chain out of his trunks (laughs) that both Mike today and Larry Zabisco call Chain Douglas. He's got a Chain Douglas there, Mike. Saturn then goes up top to perform an aerial maneuver. And I gotta be honest, and we all know this to be true, Saturn gets some serious fucking air. Alright? And at the peak of his vertical... Before he descends to destroy Rey Mysterio, Kevin Nash makes the legendary call. Old Glory Elbow Drop! Mike today then hypes coming up next is the Total Package and Rick Steiner versus the unique team of Buff Bagwell and LaParka. At the very last second, as we are fading to black, Big Kev gets in. Skeleton Man! And we're off. To a commercial. Chapter 11. A father twice over. Some ridiculously unnecessary and expensive looking pyro fires off for our main event segment as Mike Tanay lets us know it's time for Steiner and the Package versus Bagwell and LaParka. At the mention of the chairman, Nash provides a brief musical interlude. These bones, these bones, these dry bones. The total package and Rick Steiner arrive with Liz. Larry wonders if the baby faces in this contest might be at a disadvantage. I'll tell you, the big problem Bagwell's gonna have with LaParka is LaParka doesn't speak English and Bagwell doesn't speak Spanish. You figure it out. Nash, though, offers some words of encouragement. Oh, well, uh, Bagwell speaks that Marietta, Georgia English. Which is, uh, you know, almost a version of English, you think? I think that will further complicate the communication problems between the two. Tanay then calls out Nash. Because apparently he's the godfather of Rick Steiner's son, Hudson. A.K.A. not Braun Breaker Steiner. Kevin Nash has a giggling fit. 
Professor, is there nothing you don't know? Wait, you're Scott Hudson's godfather? No. Future world champion Hudson Ricksteiner. Now, he says it as one sentence, or as one word, Ricksteiner, which is obviously the Steiner's last name, technically. Hey, Huds, if you're out there, buddy, I love you. Out next, our makeshift babyface team. Buff walking way ahead of Laparka, like he doesn't want a piece of him. Uh, the total package hurries out of the ring as the babyfaces come down the aisle. You see that? Lex ran! Lex ran when he saw the skeleton! Lex might have a few in his closet we don't know about! We get a really cool and nice close-up of Laparka. I am Skeleton Man! Oh, hey, he took off a skeleton. And he's still a skeleton. This, of course, referred to the fact that Laparka wears a skeleton mask over his, well, I, I, his wrestling skeleton mask. You know, or as my son would say, skeleton. He hasn't got a thing with the S's down yet. Thank you, Kevin. The bell rings and the match begins. It's pretty much a Texas Tornado-style brawl to begin with. No rules seem to be in play at all. The package is with Buff, and the parka is battling Steiner. You see that? Steiner's not afraid of skeletons. In the ring now, and Rick hits the parka with the chair. Larry Zabisco goes to make the call. Oh, Steiner with the... Well, wait, is he still called Steiner? No, it's a total Steiner. We then see Buff Bagwell with his hands wrapped around Lex Luger's throat on the outside, and we get this call. Bagwell with the old glory choke on the outside. Finally, a normal tag team match starts to form. Steiner is working over Laparka with one of his family's patented maneuvers. Boom! Old glory Steiner line. Laparka is in desperate need of a tag. Kevin asks Tanay for Steiner's collegiate background to fill some time. Tanay proudly launches into a laundry list of information. At the end of this information, Kevin pontificates a different hypothesis. Well, I can still think of one tag team better than the Steiner brothers. Of course, referring to yourself and your outsider's tag team partner, the missing in action Scott Hall? Actually, no. I was thinking of two girls from last Thursday. Best tag team I ever met. Let's get back to the action! <laughs> no, that's, that's what he really says. Laparka is still desperately trying to make a tag. He gets the total package down. Buff is all fired up, hoping for the tag. The total package makes a tag to Rick Steiner. Rick runs over and prevents the hot tag by pushing Laparka to the outside of the ring. Buff tries desperately to reach out and touch Laparka as he falls to the ground. He misses. But you know what? The ref calls for the hot tag anyway. So you see, folks, WCW isn't just falling apart on commentary. This match seems to prove it's everywhere. Buff slams Rick down. Immediately puts his hands up and down, calling for someone to win the King of the Road match. No, he's doing the blockbuster symbol. He heads up to the top. LaParka's back in now with a chair. He's standing in front of Scott Steiner. Or Rick Steiner, excuse me. Well, I guess the podcast is falling apart too. Buff looks pissed that Laparka is standing between him and his prey. Laparka turns around now 
and looks at Buff. Buff decides, fuck it, and hits the Buff Blockbuster on LaParca. The referee then slides in to count the pinfall. Mind you, he slided in to count Buff Bagwell pitting his own partner. (laughs) I can't stress that enough. Buff leaves. The copyright hits. Nash doesn't get another word in. But Mike Tanay delivers this final and appropriate piece of information. A very strange ending to what has been a very strange thunder. And that concludes this episode of Thunder. Epilogue. Well, fans, that is going to wrap up our coverage of the October 14th 1999 WCW Thunder. Hopefully I've explained why this is the type of show that I can throw on at any time and just ignore. Now I will freely admit, it is no Royal Rumble 1992. Okay, okay, it's not even remotely close. But it does resonate for me in a very similar way. Big Kev clearly didn't show up on this evening to do business, but in the end, I'm glad that he was here to give WCW the business. Remember to please subscribe to the Aqua K feed. And as always, thank you so much for listening. And we hope to see you on our next episode of Bright Man and on all of our other Aqua K podcasts. I'm Johnny C. And a winner is you. Perhaps I should say an old glory winner is you. Yeah. Records you should